0: Welcome to Ed Ideas, Relevant Conversations for Christian Education. As image bearers of God, we have been created to actually carry out this work of cultivation, unpacking, unfurling, so that making is how we be human. Anytime culture is going through transition and there's significant change, you can either look at it as, hey, this is the worst thing ever, or what an opportunity. We know that all adolescents are asking some really direction setting questions in their life. The very first thing said about us in the Hebrew scriptures is not that we are bad, that we are dirty, that we are sinful, that we are shameful, that we are anything. The very first thing said about us is, we bear the image of God. Welcome to Ed Ideas, this is Brandon Tatum. And today we have Orpheus Haywood on the podcast. Orpheus is a minister in Atlanta, Georgia is a Bible teacher at Greater Atlanta Christian School, and he was a great presenter for us at the Museum of the Bible last year. Enjoy, I'm most grateful to be with you on this afternoon, and certainly honored to be part of the cadre of speakers that have already presented. I believe there has just been a plethora of information, a wealth of knowledge that has already been deposited and I have certainly enjoyed being a student of some of these great speakers already. I'm thankful to be here for several reasons. One, it is my first year being here at this conference. I'm certainly grateful to be with several of my colleagues from the Greater Atlanta Christian School, and just thankful to God to have access to all of you that we can share in this experience as we disseminate Christian education. When I was asked to uh, speak on this conference um, by Dr. Harsh, I certainly was humbled, and he gave me uh, a subject that I'll treat in just a few moments. But I do have a unique experience in that I am a full-time pastor of the Renaissance Church, and simultaneously uh, working with Greater Atlanta in a full-time capacity. I do not remember the last time I have slept since I have been in both capacities. It has been very difficult and humbling to say the least, when Dr. Hart gave me a call and asked would I um, be a part of the, of the Bible staff, I told he asked me would I teach uh, Bible. And I said, well, I do that every Sunday. Um, and, and I think I'm credential to do so. That sounds easy enough. Um, it was easy until I walked into a classroom of juniors. Um, and recognized that at church, I, in some regards, people come to hear the word of God. But in this class, I had to earn being heard, and that is a very different reality when you're teaching uh, young people, and in particular, in my case, juniors, is that I had to earn to be heard, and it was a very unique experience. I'm enjoying the journey and thankful to God for it. What I'd like to do for a few moments is give a biblical perspective of how we are to understand the subject our kids are made to contribute to the world. Um, What I'd like to do is certainly not make this church, but I certainly would like to give you a biblical perspective of how we can be motivated to understand how God values our children and how that is to work within our psyche as we did with teaching children. I'm a firm believer uh, that teaching children um, is often like speaking truth, but often on the wrong frequency. At my congregation there was a dangerous situation that arose. It was interesting because my security team gave me a radio and they made sure if I ever see anything that I am uncomfortable with, that I can immediately radio them to let them know. I'm not very technologically savvy, but I had this walkie-talkie in my hand. And what happened was something was uncomfortable and I began to speak on the the walkie-talkie and say I need someone to assist me In room 195. No one responded. Um, I began to speak louder and said I need someone to assist me in room 195. Still no one responded. I got very frustrated. Uh, Luckily it was not as dangerous as I thought but one of my security guards finally came in and I said sir I've been calling on this walkie-talkie for the last 10 minutes By this time, something could have happened to me or anybody in this room. I started fussing like a pastor does. And uh, he said, let me see the radio. And he looked at the radio, and I was on frequency channel three when everyone else was on frequency channel one. What I said and my speaking to them on the walkie-talkie was valid in regards to what I saw. The problem was I could not be heard because I was speaking on the wrong frequency. When you deal with young people that are existing in a different cultural reality than we do who speak a different language and a different genre, sometimes you can speak truth but it's not heard because we're not speaking on their frequency. What I've learned in teaching is it, it is vital it's very important that we understand truth must be spoken in their cultural context so that we can communicate God's word and communicate Christian education in a way where they can appreciate it. Uh, One of the things I teach people when it comes to this is we must learn how to make God relevant to their crisis. If God is viewed as irrelevant, it's because in their mind, God is distant from their reality. I think we have to help them see that God is as real in our reality as he can be in theirs. That being the case, uh, I want to read Psalms 127 and give a biblical perspective on how uh, God views our children. Listen to the reading of this. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, The watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, and he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Beloved children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so also the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them they will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemy in the gate. This is a beautiful psalm for so many reasons. For those who are familiar with the book of Psalms many syllabicated in at least four sections. Many of the Psalms while attributed to David is not in totality. Uh, The authors are not Davidic. However we are looking at this psalm, and this psalm is a psalm of ascent, which means often during their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms on their way to the temple. The information often covers throughout the fabric and tapestry of the book of Psalms, the post-exilic, as well as into the second temple. These psalms were used within the liturgy of Israel's worship. Interestingly enough, the text gives theologically a framework of understanding that we are to understand that whatever we do, we must do with God's assistance and God's helping strength, that none of us must function in a way that is separate and apart from understanding God's relevance and His strength to all that we do. In this text, he says, "Except the Lord, build the house." In our context, the word "house" so in this context, the house refers to a family. Or family dynasty. He says, Except the Lord build the house, they labored in vain that built it. And then he goes on in the synonymous parallelism to say, Except the watchman, except God watch the city, the watchman watches in vain. In other words, no matter how much one guards a city, if God is not on the side of that city, they watch in vain. No matter who is building a house, if God is not involved with building that house, they build it in vain. In other words, God must be the ultimate source in which we trust for all that we do, relevant to the idea of working for the kingdom. So this psalm invites us to respect the sovereignty of God while understanding human responsibility. Within that context, he says, children are a gift from the Lord. Now, before I get into the imagery I want to talk about, which is the warrior imagery, I want to suggest to you on my second slide here that when we ask the question to what are our children contributing, I believe children contribute to one thing or another. Contribution can be negative or positive. Our children will contribute to something, whether that is negative or whether that is positive. So it's understanding our job and our role, I believe, is to come alongside the family. The children's first environment of education in God's paradigm is the family. We as educators come alongside the family, and we aid the family, and we allow them to entrust us with helping to give their children direction. What a humbling reality it is for a parent to trust you with the mind of their child. And so when I think about that reality, that when that child enters my classroom, he enters that classroom because a parent entrusted the school to walk alongside the family to develop this child's future. It's humbling to think that a family would give me their prized possession and let me write, not on the chalkboard of a room, but on the chalkboard of a child's mind. Now, that being the case, we know that our kids will contribute to something. In Psalms 127, uh, in our next slide here, he says, the Lord builds the house. We explain God must be involved with the building of house, so we do it in vain. The watchmen watch the city, but we know that God has to be involved with the watching of the city. But then he goes on to say, our children are a gift from God. They are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. One of the things I love about scripture is scripture gives us imagery to help the human mind understand the will of God. Sometimes God will use anthropomorphic language or parabolical expressions to help us see and picture what is the the essence of his mind. What does God think about children? This text uses beautiful imagery. It says children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of children. And then he says when they grow up, they will be involved with the society so much so they'll meet the enemy at the gate. I want you to see this. If children are viewed as arrows in the hands of a warrior, then it is the responsibility of the warrior to take his arrow and ensure that that arrow not only takes flight, but that it is aimed at a target. May we never forget that in our contribution to children, we are responsible for helping a child be aimed at the right target and helping that child to take flight. The imagery is incredible because while it is giving the idea of the quantity of arrows that blesses the person whose quiver is full, it also suggests from the imagery that a child's future, or let me use the image, the arrows affect is often dependent on the warrior's skill. Well, what does that mean for you and I? If that arrow is going to find its target and if that arrow is going to take flight, then the warrior's got to make sure he focuses and invests in his skill set so the arrow will be effectively launched. As, as, as teachers and educators, let us not become so complacent that we stop growing in our skill sets. It takes effort, it takes focus, it takes concentration for us to to, to function in an environment that we must be committed to continuous learning. I'm learning that as a teacher, and I'm learning in the context of even pastoral work, you must be a perpetual student in order to be a perpetual teacher. So if you are not dedicated to the notion of being a student, how could you ever be effective at teaching anybody? So what I'm learning, and I, in my context and in your context, is that the warrior has to make sure he becomes skilled with his equipment. And I'm learning every day when I step in that classroom, i got a lot to learn. I have to learn how to communicate in a genre that I often don't understand. My children say words that i got to go look up. And only to find out the words are not in the dictionary, I have to ask them. So I'll give you an example of that. It's quite interesting. Let me go to my next slide here. Um, I'll tell you what, since I'm a little ahead, go to the next one. I've learned that when I speak to my children in a classroom context, and I'm trying to get them to understand a biblical idea, Um, I often have to figure out what is the way I should communicate this in a way that we can hear me because sometimes I'm on the wrong frequency. I know I'm telling the truth. In one of our units, we were teaching... Uh, We were teaching the church in the Old Testament and we were speaking about the seed promise and how the seed promise starts in Genesis 315. And you can follow the lineage of that seed into the New Testament fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I'm all excited about the information for my students to look at me like I'm not saying anything. I had to remember this is not church. So now I have to find a way to communicate that same information in a way they could understand. Finally, I got around to saying something that they enjoyed, and they said, bars. I said, what did you say? I thought somebody was being disrespectful. They said, bars, Dr. Hayward. I said, what do you mean, bars? They said, bars is our way of saying I like what you said, and that it resonated with me. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, anytime I say something you like, feel free to say Mars. Then I said something else about Jesus. I said, Jesus can be proven by historical evidence that he is, in fact, the resurrected Savior. Somebody said, facts. And I said, wait a minute. I know it's a fact. Why are you saying facts? Oh, Dr. Hayward, that just means we agree with what you said. That's a substantial point. I said, well, okay. I said, well, okay, we're making some progress here. So bars means whatever I said, I said it in a way that was intellectually, uh, intellectually stimulating to them. Facts meant what I said is the truth. And then I said something else about Christ and his incarnation, and they said, uh, no cap on that. I said, no cap, no cap. What is that? They said, oh, Dr. Hayward, that means you're not lying. Oh, that means what you just said is the truth. I said, okay, now we're making some progress. I said, okay, so Jesus Christ is the hoopostatic union where two natures reside in one person. He is the incarnation, the word made flesh. Bars. I said, in that same Jesus, we can prove, resurrected from the dead, facts. And then they, I said, Jesus Christ, in him was no sin, and they said, no cap on that. I said, all right, let's keep going. What I had to learn was how to speak to them and understand their language and their genre. And all of a sudden, class became fun. All because we could speak each other's language. Does that make sense? Bars. <laughs> so, so in, in understanding this, I, I want you to recognize that all of us are the warriors that have arrows in our possession coming alongside the family. How much time are we taking to make sure we're honing our skills? to make sure that we are effective in our educational communication and that we're moving in a direction where we're relevant in our classrooms. Does that make sense? That being the case, not only must we, we understand that, we have to not be afraid or we don't need to be afraid that we sometimes are in a context where because their world seems so different, we they have questions that we ought not be afraid of. I believe in a classroom, it is okay to promote critical thinking. It is interesting. While we teach at a Christian institution, I have learned and recognized that everybody within that institution's student base is not necessarily an adherent to Christianity. That although they have decided to go to a Christian school, they have enjoyed the environment, they love the professionalism of of what we bring, they love all that we offer, they love the programs, but they didn't send their child to the school to become a Christian. We then have to learn how to present Christianity in such a way where we're not coercing faith, but we're allowing them to build faith. So you have to find the balance of not trying to force Christianity, but invite thinking, critical thinking, that still leads them to the fountain of truth. So we have to learn as educators, while we subscribe to a Christian paradigm, that you can not assume that Christianity is invited in that house. So what we have to do is make sure that as we speak Christianity, invite the questions, speak to the hard questions, and admit when you don't know them. But help them understand questions are okay. We get questions all the time in regards to is there a such thing as heaven and hell? How do we even know there is a such person named Jesus Christ? How do we know he even existed? And we get into these debates and these discussions. And rather than tell them not ask the question, we allow the environment for it to be questioned. Do you not know a person's faith will be strongest if you allow them to get to that faith through questions? And so when we allow them to go through critical thinking, they find themselves doing research and coming back saying, I finally understand that. That became a reality to me when I finally came in class one day and a child came up to me after class and said, Dr. Hayward, I'm interested in becoming a child of God. Would you be willing to talk to me further about baptism? Not because I forced it on him, not because I pushed him, but because of the process of critical thinking. He said, I can now see why you would say Jesus Christ is the son of God. At the end of the day, what are we trying to accomplish? I believe what we're trying to accomplish is being skilled warriors. I'd like you to go to the next slide. In being skilled warriors, I'm learning the value of having a coach to be submitting to being trained. To Submitting to the, to the notion that I am a perpetual student, I'm thankful to, right here now, uh, Dr. Paul Cable, who introduced me, has been nothing short of a great mentor in trying to help me to understand and navigate the classroom. It's okay to be humble enough to keep learning. Submit to being coached by somebody who is a skilled warrior before you came along. So we have to be humble enough to be taught, humble enough to learn. Next slide. We have to be serious about what we bring to the table by having a developed, intense focus and concentration, focusing on my personal development, because I believe authenticity will show up in the classroom. To be authentic is what a lot of these young people are looking for. They're not looking for somebody mechanical, they're not looking for somebody who claims to know it all, but they are looking for somebody who is, in fact, authentic. And my authenticity will often be tied to how much time I spend in intense focus and concentration in developing my skill set. We come alongside the family, as I said earlier. Uh, the family is important to the educational process. And as we come alongside the family, the discipline that they're learning at home is the discipline that they want enforced enforce at the school. They're entrusting their child to you. I can remember my mother is an educator. My mother right now uh, is retired, but she was an educational consultant. Uh, she was that parent that believed in even after school was over, education continues. It was hard being the child of an educator because she thinks school never ends. <laughs> but during my days off, I can remember her taking me, uh, me having school the summer off, and, and I thought that it was time to sleep because after all, I've been in school all year. You can go to the next slide. My mother found that I became in love with the bed during the summer, and she saw a habit developing in me of laziness and a habit of wanting to be out of pocket with education. She wanted me to understand that education was not just about intellect, but it was about putting to practice the things that were learned, that if you're learning how to be disciplined in the school environment, how do you take discipline and use that discipline and infuse it in practical living? So my mother would come up to my bedroom and she would say, what are you doing today? I would say, I'm going to continue sleeping. She would give me another day. Second day, she'd come back. She says, oh, it's 10 o'clock a.m. You're still sleeping. What are you doing today? I said, I'm just going to get a little bit more sleep. Mom's been a long year. Then she would come back again the third day. She said, I tell you what, I have created an agenda for you. And she said, you're going to get up and you're going to catch the Q4 bus and you're going to go down Linden Boulevard and you're going to go to the YMCA. She said, you're going to volunteer your time as a CIT, which is, was a counselor in training. She said, what I want you to do is learn the discipline of volunteering and plant seeds for future success. You're going to volunteer first, and then you're going to learn that that will open doors that you don't see. I said, Ma, I don't see this. She said, yeah, but you're going. <laughs> she says, here's a few dollars for you to go down to, to the YMCA. I went down to the YMC. I spent the whole summer down there. Next thing I knew, next summer came, there was an automatic job there because I volunteered the year before. My mother also put me in martial arts school, and she made sure that I became a, a proficient martial artist. She said, now you're going to have to learn business. One, I want you to write a proposal for the YMCA. Submit your proposal to the YMCA that you are a professional martial artist, and you're going to offer a program based on this proposal. She sat down and wrote the proposal with me, and she helped me to understand how to write a proposal, submitted that proposal, and they adopted my program. Became one of the largest schools in Queens New York with 220 kids. What my mother was doing was what the school system has to do. She took an arrow, her arrow, put it in the bowl, and she was allowing me to learn how to take flight and she was aiming me toward a target. What do we do in the school system? We come along that mother and we get her child in that classroom and we take that same arrow and we continue to give it direction. So I want you to see as an educator today that God describes children as an arrow in the hand of a warrior. I want you to join every teacher in this room and say I'm going to join the warrior class and I'm going to join the soldiers to learn how to effectively use my bow so this child can continue to take flight. Now with that being said, as I close this, what, are we, what is the target we're aiming for? If you can go to the next slide, I believe the target we're aiming for is excellence in Christian character as the basis for success in the secular. I don't believe we should pretend like we don't want our children to be successful in the secular. We do. Whether they are entering an academic setting, whether they are pursuing a degree in law, or whether they are going into the medical profession, whatever they choose. Our job is not to choose their profession, Our job is to aim then toward a target that says, learn Christian character as the basis of your success in the secular. I don't believe it's enough to launch a child to be secularly successful, but be a spiritual failure. If we are a Christian institution, then spiritual success must be more important than secular success. And more so, that they would take the spiritual principles of a divine sacred text and use that as the basis of their Christian growth. And say, as I enter into the arena of the secular, I take the kingdom of God with me. That would be success for a Christian school. Success is not just the obtaining of a degree or academic prowess. It is the idea that Christ Jesus is magnified in their life and they can take these Christian values with them to whatever setting they reside in. That would be the target we're aiming for. Last slide. So what are we looking for? We're looking for excellence in character. The character of God is the grounds of all human excellence. May we never dis- divorce Christianity or our education in the Christian schools from a true understanding of the knowledge and character of Almighty God. May they, as, as they learn all of their academic necessities, may we also give them spiritual necessities to connect to their creator so that, as it was said earlier, they can be image bearers of the image of Almighty God. Our text in 2 Peter 1 tells us, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are in you and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we ensuring that our children are learning these qualities? While they excel in mathematics, may they excel in moral excellence. Because that is the unique fingerprint we bring in Christian education. So i leave you with that to suggest to you, welcome warriors. Let's grab these arrows, put them in our bow. Let's pull as far back as we can, and let's watch the arrows take flight. God bless you today. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please hit subscribe and follow our podcast. It's important that we continue these relevant conversations for Christian education.